This is Crowdfunding Uncut, the place where creators and entrepreneurs come to learn how to launch a successful crowdfunding campaign. Here's your host, Kirsten Ross. I want to take a second to thank Gadgetflow for sponsoring this episode. Guys, if you are looking for an awesome platform to get your crowdfunding project in front of over 25 million people per month, you should absolutely check them out. They are the third largest Indiegogo partner and listed on Kickstarter as experts. And not to mention, they've worked with over 4,000 crowdfunding projects since 2012. Their platform also now supports AR and VR, which I thought was a really cool add-on. To find out more, you should definitely head over to thegadgetflow.com slash submit to list your crowdfunding project today, but be sure to use coupon code UNCUT10 to get 10% off your services with them. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. This is episode 111, and our guest today is actually, you may recognize as the sponsor of our show, Evan Vrasmus from Gadgetflow. And Gadgetflow is actually one of the um, one of the few marketing services that I actually use online when it comes to crowdfunding campaigns, because there are, you will know the second you announce to the world that you're doing a Kickstarter or Indiegogo campaign, you're going to be bombarded by hundreds of people claiming to help you get funded, uh, sharing your campaign with thousands of their press list and et cetera, et cetera. And my hesitation when I went into crowdfunding, um, you know, we, we got burned a couple of times when we used those services and, uh, Evan actually approached me just a little over a year ago and they are a, they're one of the leading platforms to, for tech and really awesome crowdfunding campaigns to help get them exposure. And they've actually become kind of like an online catalog. And, you know, while Evan will get into exactly what they do behind the scenes and stuff, um, we've used them for several campaigns and we have just been, very happy with the traffic that they bring our campaign. And, um, you know, long story short, we ended up uh, partnering up as a sponsor on the podcast because I, I love endorsing services that I believe in. Um, and they're one of the few legitimate services actually in the crowdfunding industry. So, um, Evan, I'm super stoked to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. Um, so I was thinking, there, we have this amazing opportunity today to like dive into all things crowdfunding, but I, I do like to focus the conversation a little bit. Um, so before I dive, because I have a thousand questions here, before we dive in, can you um, tell the audience a little bit about yourself, uh, like what, what Gadgetflow is and how you fit, like started the company and got into the whole product launch space? Sure thing. So I'm the founder and CEO of Gadgetflow. I'm also an investor and advisor and Forbes Inc. and Huffington Post contributor. So Gadgetflow basically is a product discovery platform that reaches 25 million people per month. We curate 12 new products every single day, and we featured more than 12,000 products among 140 categories since 2012. So we're a team of 28 people headquartered in New York, and we're also the third largest Indiegogo partner, as well as listed on both Kickstarter and Indiegogo as experts. Um, so we've now worked with more than 6,000 customers, uh, including Sony, Polaroid, Bang & Olufsen, uh, as well as more than 4,000 crowdfunding campaigns. Um, so we've also recently launched an augmented reality feature using Apple's ARKit for our iOS app, which is really cool. Uh, that lets you experience products in AR um, using your iPhone's camera. That is awesome. I yeah. know you, you listed a bunch of larger brands. Um, when working, who is your favorite to work with? It, would, it, would it be 
the larger brands like Sony and Panasonic or do you like the creators that come in with like the startup level? I would say it's 50-50, right? Because when you're working with this big brands, let's just say, um, they know all about marketing. They know like what they're expecting. Um, you can work with them like with specific target audiences. So it's I would say it's way easier compared to like crowdfunding projects. But I mean, on the other hand, crowdfunding projects, it's way more fun because the products has, are like more interesting um, and you get to work with people that are not necessarily like experienced with marketing, um, but they're like super like excited about their product. Uh, so you get to talk to like the founders, which is not the case obviously with the big branch, right? Oh, it's so true. Man, I used to do sales for Xerox. And so, you know, I went from a B2C sales model to B2B. And it, I just remember it being so hard getting through the gatekeeper to the decision maker. And one thing I love about, because I work mainly with the startups, I love having that one-on-one attention with the founder mm-hmm. too. So, yeah. oh man, I totally hear you on that. Oh yeah, 100%. So if someone um, is listening to this right now and they're like, hey, okay, so I'm actually looking for help getting my project more visibility, like who would you say is your perfect customer and why would they use Gadgetflow? Right. So, I mean, it's mostly like tech and design products, right? Like hardware products, obviously, mostly. Um, uh, we Like people can use Gadgetflow to get in front of like targeted consumers that are like into tech, early adopters, millennials. Uh, and people that are also familiar with crowdfunding platforms like Kickstarter and Indiegogo. So we've launched Gadgetflow back in 2012 uh, because we realized that there was a gap in the market. On one hand, you had like Engad- sites like Engadget and Gizmodo with these like full in-depth reviews and huge marketplaces like Amazon, Etsy, eBay, and so on, right? Um, so we've created Gadgetflow to basically, we're like, we're, we, we fit right in right within these two big categories. So you can use Gadgetflow to stay updated, for example, with the latest product releases and the hottest crowdfunding projects. We don't do like in-depth reviews or anything like that. We just present the product, uh, each and every product that we curate in the most beautiful way uh, with just an 100-word description of what this product does, how it works, and you know how would you use it. Uh, we present the specs, photos, videos, and everything that you might need, right? Um, mm-hmm. And we do that every single day, including weekends and holidays since 2012. Um, so people like crowdfunding projects and also people that are like, looking to like increase their sales, they can use Gadgetful just to get in front of our community. That makes sense. Now, when it comes to crowdfunding projects, I know um, I, you know, I feel like our lead gen is is similar. Where someone will come to each of our websites, they're looking for marketing help. Where our services are are very different because we don't have an online catalog that um, with user base or whatnot. But like, I find that we get very uh, big spectrum of different projects. Ones that come across my desk are an absolute yes, this will sell because it fits this, these Mm -hmm. criteria, but then there are others that are definite duds. And I'm curious, like you've seen over 4,000 projects, uh, over the years with gadget flow do either really well or not so well. I'm curious, like, how do you gauge whether something is going to be successful when it comes across your desk? That's, that's a tough one. So, I mean, (laughs) we have, um, some sort of like an internal evaluation process, right? So our acceptance rate at this point is close to like, uh, 78, 80%. So we don't accept every single project that comes to us and say, hey, you want to work with you, right? Um, so like, it's more like a, an internal voting system. 
uh, that we have in our team. Um, and when we're like evaluating it in every project, we see whether like we can guess uh, whether they're going to be successful uh, on Kickstarter or Indiegogo. But just looking at a few uh, specific elements from their campaign. First of all, it's basically the time that they have left compared to the amount that they've raised so far. And secondly, and most importantly, all comes down to the presentation, whether they're like doing, you know, where they're following like the, the right marketing strategies, um, they're following the right steps when it comes to crowdfunding, because it's a process, right? It's not just random success or overnight success uh, that most of the people believe, right? Um, that's That's basically what people feel like they'll be getting after they launch a crowdfunding campaign that, hey, you know, I have this great idea. I'm going to go on Kickstarter and raise a million dollars. But they don't know that there's a spe- there are like specific steps that you follow, that you have to follow in order to get there, right? Mm-hmm. That, yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, you brought up a good point where your very first criteria is how much time do they have left on their campaign? Mm-hmm. When is the ideal time that someone should hire you guys? Is it before the campaign? Is it day one of the campaign? Yeah, great question. I mean, uh, we we recommend submitting your pro- your project on Gadgetflow about two to three weeks before you launch your crowdfunding project. Because uh, at the moment, we have a, some sort of like a queue since last June. Um, so in order to secure your spot, we recommend submitting it two to three weeks prior your project goes live. Awesome. What is a red flag? that you see, like the number one thing that uh, if you see a project come across your desk, you know it's an absolute no and you reject them? Um, Less than 10% uh, of their goal raised with more than five days uh, their campaign running, basically. Um, Because it all comes down to like, obviously you know that they're not just doing a campaign to raise like $5,000, right? Obviously the internal goal is usually anywhere from like, 40 to 50 to 100 to 100 and so on, right? Mm-hmm. So when we see projects that are like, they feel desperate and they're coming to us and they're like, hey, you know, let's use Gadgetful, let's get in front of your users. We'll, we'll basically recommend them like to pause, pause basically or cancel the campaign uh, and relaunch by following specific steps instead of like introducing their product at this point to our community and in a quote, like burning their product listing on Gadgetflow, Right. Whereas if we introduce it in the right way, after like even a month or even two months, they'll be able to leverage our community. But if we, for example, let's just say we accept a listing that it's not doing well and we promote it in front of our community, right? They're going to get all the clicks they want and all the clicks that they're expecting and everything. But at the end of the day, they won't convert because if they haven't raised like 10, 20, 30% at least within the first few hours or days, the campaign will fail. And backers know that these days. It's not that you know, like the percentage of backers that you're getting on average per campaign, they're not new backers. Basically, they're returning. So backers in general are familiar with this process. So they also know uh, whether a campaign will fail or succeed, if you think Mm -hmm. about it. I find that when I get, um, when I look at a campaign that is less than 5% funded and they are past the day three threshold, the three, four, five days early on, we pretty much know it is going to fail guaranteed. Mm -hmm. And people do, that's I find when they, not everyone, but some people start to get desperate and think, oh crap, the $10,000 I I heard I need to spend on advertising before the campaign, maybe if I spend it after it's launched as like a revival technique, it just, it won't 
work because like you bring up a really great point in terms of bringing Mm -hmm. good quality content to your audience too. Like it's going to be a waste of money and it's not going to convert. But the flip side is if you do hire some marketing, um, I don't know, you spend money on Facebook ads or you start to dump money into a campaign that won't convert. What is Mm -hmm. going on in the backer's mind is it's a trust factor too. Like as you say, backers are are trained to understand when a campaign is going to fail. So like, I feel that when, when someone looks at it, it's like, Ooh, uh, the numbers, I'm not very confident in this. And then they're just going to leave as well. So you bring up such a solid point that we really do have to look at the campaign stats in terms of a trust factor and what your community and backers are going to think of it. Yep. That is correct. And I mean, it all comes down to like pre-lunch marketing, right? And I bet you're following the same strategies as well. Like (laughs) one of, yeah, like, I mean, when it comes down to crowdfunding, I would say it's like 50%, whatever you're doing post-lunch and everything, uh, and 50% prior lunch your project. Because getting a community that's interested in your product, in your project, before you launch it, that's the key to having a successful crowdfunding campaign, right? Because you can literally get your campaign funded within hours if you have a thousand, two thousand email addresses, you know, ready to buy, which is, you know, not all of them are gonna buy, right? The conversion rate is still gonna be like less than fifty percent. Yeah, it's normal, right? Um, but by having a community, by having like even a hundred, even two hundred backers within within a matter of hours from last year's project, that's gonna get you there. That's gonna get you definitely funded within the same day, and that's when the fun begins, <laughs> right? Yeah. I have, uh, so I get asked this a lot, which is what, what number should I set my goal at? And you mentioned earlier an internal goal of 40, 50, a hundred thousand dollars where the public goal, Mm -hmm. where you set your campaign, maybe less than that. I'm, I'd love to know what, what your sweet spot is for when someone comes to you for consulting and Mm -hmm. like, do you set the goal high or do you set it low? And why do you set it low? Mm-hmm. So it depends on the product, right? We have, let's just say, a product that sells for about um, like $50, $50 to $60. I would say 5000 should be the goal, right? Because you can reach it pretty pretty easy uh, within within the matter of hours, if not just a couple of days, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes down to like, you know, let's just say more expensive products like 3D prints and stuff like that, I recommend anywhere from like ten dollars to $15,000 to $20,000, yeah, makes sense. Because my my big fear is if you, and this is a legitimate uh, fear, I guess, because we really don't know how a crowdfunding campaign will do. We just know that we have to do, follow X steps before we launch to make sure that the we stack the deck in our favor, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but if someone like sets a goal of ten thousand dollars, this happened with one of our campaigns over like a year ago, um, where we internally needed a quarter million dollars, but we set the goal at around 20. And unfortunately we only raised about a third of what we actually needed to. So like we, the campaign ended up raising $80,000, which is still great. But we were at this point afterwards where we had to close the gap on, well, how do we actually get a quarter million dollars to bring Mm -hmm. this to manufacturing? So like, what would you do if a campaign falls short of its internal goal, but still hits its public goal? Right. That's a good question. Uh, I've experienced that as well, many times actually, not necessarily with my customers or like casual customers, but I've heard stories as well, you know, people that we work with, 
Um, and it's challenging, right? Because like if you set a goal of like $20,000 and you end up raising even $200,000, but your internal goal is a million, it's still a loss for you, right? So yeah. I've seen people even canceling the project, uh, you know, like trying to figure out what went wrong and then relaunching after a couple of months, which I feel is the best strategy, right? Yeah. Because uh, you're being, you're also being like transparent and honest with your customers um, and they'll appreciate it. Like when it comes down to like being able to generate more revenue, more, let's just say backers um, while your campaign is live, it's all about knowing your target audience. That's the second most important issue uh, for the crowdfunding market at this point. I know, for example, companies, I know brands that they have $200,000 uh, marketing budget, right? And they don't know how to spend it. Like they understand yeah. that they have to spend it obviously on Facebook ads, like lead generation, stuff like that. But they don't know who to target, you know? Because especially when it comes down to crowdfunding, it's all about like, especially like design and technology. It's all about new products. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about products that might not even have a target audience, like a specific niche, right? Um, so you're creating it basically with this. And it's difficult for you to find people that, are, that will be interested in your product. Uh, so, I know, like I said, I know a lot of people uh, that, I ha that have the same issue uh, in the past um, that even though they had their, the actual capital to spend it like in marketing and everything, uh, they failed to find their mar the, the target audience. Yeah, you're speaking my language. Um, so we we actually, um, <laughs> you know, we do Facebook ads and stuff. And one thing that we found is there are two ways to go about Facebook ads. And, and Facebook ads are our main traffic source to build an email list. And we mm -hmm. find that a customer can start at like, we'll just arbitrary number, $150 a day for a budget. And mm -hmm. If you, you're basically starting from zero, you're making a ton of assumptions. And if you don't start testing those audiences with a smaller, say a $20 a day budget, you're going to mm -hmm. blow through your ad budget quickly. Yeah. So w what we do is we'll spend, when we are actually building the email list, we're doing a ton of testing at the level of Facebook ads. So we will make sure that we have a really good cost per email and a really good landing page conversion before we start to spend more money. And we also spend a lot of time on like testing audiences for price sensitivity and stuff. Cause like you, you know, I've learned this from experience. We can launch a campaign with an audience, but if we go back and realize that no one's buying because, oh crap, the price was too high. We should have, yeah. we should have checked for that. And so like, mm -hmm. we basically make a list of fail safes of what we have to test right. before we launch, because you just, you're going into unknown territory. Correct. And we're, so, we're actually about to launch, uh, a new product, a new feature within Gadgetflow uh, cool. that's going to help creators solve that problem. We're going to call it Gadgetflow Reviews. Basically, it's going to be a platform in which you'll be able to get feedback for your crowdfunding project uh, while you're creating it, like, you know, before you launch it or either oh, after you launch it. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So you'll be, able to, you'll be able to get feedback from super backers, from regular backers or just regular people, right, that are like into tech, design, and so on. So that's going to that's gonna help a lot of creators um, avoid basically lots of failure, <laughs> fa failed campaigns, right? Yeah, because um, yeah, it's, it's great. Like, like I said, it's not just about the marketing or the preparation. You know, that's obviously a big part of a crowdfunding project, but it's also um, about getting feedback from your potential customers. 
because if you get if you're able for example if you're letting let's say a 3d printer right like mm-hmm. you need to be able to get in front of like a 3d printing related community right and ask them is the price is right you like this uh what else would you prefer like in terms of like the features, right? Or the yeah. size or this and that. Like you need to have some sort of like a focus group uh, or some sort of like a community, right? That's not your team, by the way. <laughs> oh man, so you are going, be, will you be using your user base as a community of like, so when just Something like that. Yeah. okay. Oh, that is amazing. Cause right now we're relying on like messenger bots and building our audience yeah. before we ask them feedback. So if you can, provide a cold pool of traffic of people who are already interested in something similar to whatever this new project is like that's awesome and please send me information when it's like live or whatever we'll do we'll do probably towards yeah probably towards the end of the month yeah amazing i love it you guys work quickly yeah (laughs) um cool so i want to pivot um Actually, my last question on crowdfunding-related strategy is if you could give a creator one piece of advice uh, on crowdfunding, what is that? Um, Like, focus on your pre-launch marketing campaign. Nothing else. Like, literally. (laughs) Well said. Very succinct. Yep. Cool. Um, One thing, um, when I was doing some research on you, because, like, up until this, we chatted I feel like a thousand times, but it's really Mm -hmm. cool to see your development as an entrepreneur outside of gadget flow. And one thing that I think you guys are killing it is you have built a successful remote team. And that's something, um, topic that we haven't covered on the podcast. And I find that my team is, is completely virtual as well. And a lot of our clients are starting to hire freelancers and building their teams virtually. And so I'd love to dive into um, what that was like starting and why you chose to go virtual instead of doing the traditional office and growing it locally as mm-hmm. well. So, I mean, my bachelor's is at uh, shipping and finance. I started here in Athens, Greece, and then moved to New York like four years after, right? Um, and I actually had the opportunity to commute to my office, which was like an hour away, um, every single morning and then another hour to go back home in the afternoon. Right. Um, yeah. so I experienced that and I was like, it can't just be like this until I'm like 65. Right. <laughs> so it, it honestly, it honestly felt bad because I was losing literally two hours every single day. Um, so later on, we actually opened an office here in Greece, uh, with a media for a media agency, uh, called Cloudy. Uh, we're doing like marketing and uh, digital marketing in general, so kind of like web design, uh, branding and stuff like that. And we had our own office, which was obviously closer to my home, but it was still, uh, you know, it was still um, some sort of like a daily commute, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then part of like, uh, part of like the agency was also Gadgetflow, which was a part-time project back then, right? And as soon as we realized its potential, we closed the entire agency and focused 100% on Gadgetflow. So with Gadgetflow, I didn't want, first of all, the, the, the primary reason is, was that I didn't want to have just Greek people working on that, uh, on that project, right? I was like, yeah. why would I limit, first of all, talent, right? What, what if I could find someone from London, you know, that there's chemistry and everything, why would I, you know, require him to basically move in Greece or in New York or in London in order to work with us? Um, secondly, it was the daily commute. So I was like, okay, that works. Instead of just commuting for two hours a day, I'll be spending that time to work on my product, 
which makes more sense, especially if you add that up to like the entire year, right? Mm -hmm. And then as we started with Cajaflow, uh, it kept making sense uh, back then to hire more people. So I, I remember like our first hire uh, was, was Greek, our CTO, John. Uh, and then after that, like we're three Greek co-founders at this point, our CTO is Greek as well. And then it's pretty much spread. We have people from Singapore, France, New York, um, like Los Angeles, Canada as well. It's, it's crazy. We're 28 people at this point. Um, so when it comes down to like managing the entire team, it's not that difficult to be honest, because I've both experienced like the office environment, right? I used to work in a shipping company uh, with like uh, about 50 employees, right? So I have the experience. I can definitely compare these two uh, things together, right? So working working as a remote team was not challenging in any way compared to like working in the office. Um, as I can I can definitely like give feedback from my point of view as the founder and CEO of the company mm-hmm. and. What definitely made sense for me was the time that I was saving every single day, like literally working two hours more every single day, like spending two more hours on your product, developing your product, doing calls, meetings and stuff like that. Instead of commuting, it's way more productive. I agree. Um, One thing I was curious about is right now, do you have only employees or do you have a split between employees and freelancers? Yeah. So it's basically a mixture between employees and contractors. We're not working with like actual freelancers, right? Like on mm-hmm. a project basis or anything like that. Um, at least not for now. Uh, so we were, we were trying since day one to build some sort of like a scalable team. So when the time is right, when the product, you know, keeps growing faster and faster, we do have like the capacity internally to scale with the product, right? Um, so we've, we've done that. Like, I remember that since, since our first year, we had like our apply form, um, live on our website. And today we have about, um, like 600,000 CVs on our platform, which is insane. Right. But at any given point, we have like lots of people interested to work with Gadgetflow. So basically we take them through the first phase of like the interview and everything. And we tell them, Hey, okay. Yeah, we'll be, you know, we're interested for you. Um, we'll let you know within the next like four to six months. And if there is actually an opening, we'll just go ahead and hire them. But I mean, for the core team, that's, that's basically the key to remote working, to build like a solid, uh, infrastructure for your company, to build like a core team that's going to scale with you, that they're not like looking just for the next paycheck, right? Hungry people with high, uh, emotional intelligence that are hungry to grow and hungry to scale with your company. So they basically share your vision, right? Yep, that makes sense. Now with, I know when you just start out and revenue is not super predictable, uh, many entrepreneurs might choose the freelancer or the contractor model because there's it's less of a commitment to an employee. And at some mm-hmm. point in the journey, you get predictable monthly revenue and you can start to entertain um, uh, investing in employees. For you, who would you say has been your best hire for your core team? And if you could do it all over again, who would be the first employee that you'd hire? So if I could just change one thing in general, it would be to hire everyone just match faster, right? Like way, way faster. Um, I don't have just one person to name, right? 
Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's the entire team, to be honest, because when we started back in 2012, we're like the three founders were basically doing everything. We're the editor, we're the accountant, we're the developer, the designer, the coder and everything, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, it comes a point in which you realize that I can't do any, everything like on my own. I need help. So the sooner you get help, the faster you'll grow. How do you decide what you badly need help with the first time? With like the first thing? I mean, it's challenging, right? Especially if you're like a startup. So we never got funded. We had a couple of M&A requests. We were, we are still in touch like with VCs and everything. But as a company, as of today, we're self-sustained, right? So cash flow is obviously important for us. Um, I mean, we reached, we reached like multiple times, we reached like our limits in terms of like the capacity, let's just say, of doing things internally. Um, if that means, for example, you know, creating content or uh, our marketing team or just placing ads or just developing new stuff. Um, so, I mean, as the founder and CEO, I find it really useful to know um, to have like a, let's just say multiple skills when it comes down to like coding and design and like understanding things, technologies and stuff like that, because it's way easier for you to understand when you need more people and obviously the reason behind it, right? I need more people to do this and that. Um, so I obviously talk with lots of CEOs, entrepreneurs, level executives and, and everything. Um, and I see people, for example, that they don't have any kind of like background in coding or design or marketing. And they're launching a tech company, right? So for these people, it's way more difficult to handle their team because they can't actually, they can't go go against, let's just say, their development team. They can't go against their marketing team because they don't know what they're talking about in a way, right? So for Mm -hmm. them, it's way more challenging to know that specific, to understand like that's the the point in which, you you know, I need more people. I need more people to do this. I need more people to scale that department. Um, or develop that feature. So I guess that that you know having that specific skill set from my side that has helped me a lot uh, prioritize when mm-hmm. it comes down to like hiring. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Now, for an entrepreneur that knows from the beginning that they want a remote team to have uh, freedom, just like you know you've set up for your life, where what's the one thing where one area where you see remote work go south, like go wrong? Um, so it was like one of our challenges, I would say was one-on-one like calls, like video calls and everything like FaceTime, Skype and stuff like that. Um, so we didn't do that for at least the first two years. Right. So we're talking with everyone, with everyone on Slack, on Skype and so on, um, through our CRM and everything, but we didn't have like this kind of like interaction that you would have with your colleague in an office. Right. Um, so fortunately we, we saw that was an issue, right. And we changed it. That's when we decided to basically focus on our culture and, um, you know, focus on 100% our culture in order to develop it. So later on, when we scale as a team, it won't be an issue, right? Um, So back in 2014, we started doing like one-on-one calls uh, every now and then. And then back in, like after after about a year in 2015, it became like a weekly thing. So Mm -hmm. now as the CEO of the company, I'm personally doing a one-on-one call with almost the entire team on a weekly basis. And it's really important because you connect with your team on a totally different level. It's, it's way, way, way better to not just talk about business, but to get to know each other, right? Which makes sense. Like if you're in an office, you're, you're taking like a five minute break, you're drinking your espresso or whatever. 
Um, yeah. And you're, you're connecting with each other. You're connecting with someone else. And you're not just talking about, you know, business stuff. So we've decided to follow that strategy as well um, since 2015. And I definitely don't regret it. Mm-hmm. No, I really love that high touch point. Um, I think video calls, I know this is not a video call now, but video calls, <laughs> it's almost like you're, it's almost replicating the in-office experience. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been really awesome. Um, I know we haven't dived much into crowdfunding strategy on previous calls. So this is great. Thank you so much for just, you know, driving on the show with me and, and everything. My pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. So guys, in case you missed the website for how you can get 10% off of GadgetFlow services, head over to thegadgetflow.com slash submit. And at checkout, be sure to use code UNCUT, U-N-C-U-T. And of course, all the information is going to be in the show notes available at crowdfundinguncut.com. So Evan, do you have any other famous last words before we stop recording? Um, no, I think I'm all set. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Like, uh, you know, it's a pleasure to meet you in person one day as well in Toronto. Um, you're, you guys are doing an amazing job with your company as well. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's totally an interesting ride, you know, in the crowdfunding market, being able to experience everything, uh, new technologies and everything in between from the front seat. So I'm really grateful. Yeah. Same here. Um, and yeah, we will meet one day. So oh, yeah. cool. Anyway, yeah, because one of your guys actually works in my co-working space here in Toronto. Oh yeah, Matt, right? Yeah. So I'm gonna I need to reach out to him. But yeah, one of my friends like, have you heard of Gadget Flow? Yes. <laughs> so, anyways, random side note. So yep. all right. I feel like I'm the queen of random side notes. It's very hard for me to stay on point with these interviews. And I guess that's why I enjoy them so much. Like I intentionally don't script the interviews, which um, I think it may annoy some guests because every, at least 25% of um, the guests that come on the show, they're like, so what questions are you going to ask? And I'm like, I work best freestyle. I'll do a bit of research on you. And then we're just going to dive in and see where the conversation goes. I don't know. What do you think? Is it cool? Do you like that? Do you like how it may sometimes go off tangent to what we want? Who knows? But anyways, guys, um, be sure to, you know, if you're looking for a good marketing um, platform to get your project in front of other people, I really do um, strongly suggest GadgetFlow. I, I typically don't associate with other partners in the industry unless if I do truly believe in what they're doing and uh, they're up to some awesome stuff. But apart from that, if you want links or our crowdfunding field guide, which is loaded with a printable launch calendar. So if you're a visual person like me, want to print something and have it up on your wall to keep track of your goals, as well as a checklist of what the heck you should be doing from idea straight through to launch, go to crowdfundinguncut.com and pick up the field guide and you could see the podcast show notes there. Um, Apart from that, should you have a question, feel free to send me an email directly, the letter K, so just K, at crowdfundinguncut.com. Apart from that, we will see you next week.
Are you launching a product on either Kickstarter or Shopify and you're feeling completely overwhelmed with the process? Hi there, my name is Kirsten, the CEO of Launch and Scale. To date, we've helped several online sellers sell millions of dollars online and scale their business from zero to seven figures by focusing on building an audience of fans that will actually convert into paying customers. If you're serious about building a seven-figure e-commerce brand with less time and less risk, you should check out our product launch pad. PLP is a proven accelerator that takes you step-by-step -step through the process of launching and scaling your product brand. Brands like the Monk Manual, Aberlite, Series Chill, Jamstack, and several others were all launched using our product launch pad. So if you'd like to be our next success story, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more. And for a limited time, we're offering a seven-day trial of the product launch pad for only $1. Again, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more.